We're going to be in the book of Amos today. Amos chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Amos chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And if you need a church Bible, there should be one on your pew there, and it'll be on page 764. 764. Now today is obviously the first day in a new series, um, the book of Amos. And um, now you probably don't do this, but I, I imagine you do. I mean, I do. I imagine these things. I sit in my office and I think about this, that you sit around at night and you're like, wow, I wonder what Pastor Patrick's going to do this next series. I wonder what he's going to do. I know Chris does. I know Chris does. And the family talks about it and, and their little man's asking questions because he loves me, right? And, um, and, and, and I bet you're like, well, I wonder how Pastor Patrick plans these particular sermon series. How does he plan this? Well, there's no rocket science to it. I'm the type of person, and I'm like, if I don't have to reinvent the wheel, I won't. And so I actually went to a, a church conference one time with uh, Pastor Mark Dever at uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in uh, Washington, D.C., and he has this kind of scheme that he does. And so what he does is he preaches back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament. And so he does a rotation of each genre, like he goes from the law to the Gospels, from the Gospels to the Old Testament prophets, from the Old Testament prophets to the Pauline letters, from the Pauline letters to history, from history to general letters. Do you see? And so since I have been here, that's what I've done back and forth. Now every once in a while, it's good to have some topical series. And typically in the summer, I'll do something like that. Or maybe at the first of the year, if I map out things differently. So that's what I do. And the reason why I do that is because I think it's important that we have a balanced diet of the Scriptures. A balanced diet of the Scriptures. Because sometimes, and we all know it, if we're reading through the Bible in a year, when we get to the prophets or when we're stuck in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we're going, what am I doing here? Is this really meaningful? Because it is difficult to plow through. I mean, you know, God's Word is sometimes challenging. And so that's why, we, that's why I do what I do with this. And so today, what we're doing is we're going to this, this prophet Amos. And as we move to this book, it, it might be a little bit unfamiliar to you. Now, I guarantee you, if when we start reading it, it's going to be frightening. I'm just telling you, because it's frightening stuff. But we must remember as God's people that all Scripture is breathed. By God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's important that we get acquainted with all the Scripture, that we have a, a good, healthy balance of a diet. And this is just the way I have chosen to do it, is to follow Mark's kind of outline and how he does it. So as we open this story, I want to begin with a story there's a, I've used this guy's uh, stories before. There's a guy named Jerry Clower from Yazoo City, Mississippi. And when I was a boy, I loved to listen to this guy tell stories. And he tells, he always told uh, a lot of stories about this particular family named the Ledbetters, okay? Now, New Gene Ledbetter, uh, Mr. Clower says, was the most, was the, he said this way, the meanest youngin' I have ever seen in my life. So you have to get that southern Mississippi thing going. The meanest youngin' I have ever seen in my life. And he also was prolific at lying. 
He lied all the time about all kinds of things. And so one summer, there was a man in the community who owned a big collie dog. And this big collie dog was yellow and full of hair and everything. And every summer, he would take some sheep shears, and he would shear that dog down to just the little bitty hairs, you know? And so he sheared the dog down. And this summer, he decided to leave some hair on its head. And he decided to leave a big scrub of hair on the end of its tail. And so when Eugene saw this dog, he ran in the house saying, Lion in the yard! Lion's going to get us! Lion in the yard! And Uncle Versi, his dad, jumped up and went over there and looked out the window and said, It's that dog. Boy, how many times have I got to tell you not to lie? Because he knew he was lying. And he looked at him and he said, Now, son, I have whipped you. And he used these words. You can't use them today, but he, I beat you. You see what You can't use those words today. He says, I whipped you and I've beat you and I've done everything I know to do. So I want you to walk upstairs and I want you to spend the next hour praying before the Lord. And I want you to ask him for forgiveness. I want you to beg him for forgiveness. And if you come down here and you tell me, I've truly met with the Lord and I believe he's forgiven me, I'm not going to whip you. But if you don't, I'm going to whip your hide. So Eugene went upstairs and he prays. And a little bit later, he comes downstairs and he looks at Uncle Versi and he said, Sir, I'm done. And he says, Well, do you have forgiveness? Have you met with the Lord? Are you sure that he's forgiven you? Yes, sir, I'm sure. As a matter of fact, God spoke to me. Mr. Ledbetter looked at him and said, he did. And what did he say? He said, I thought that was a line too. (laughs) Now here's the thing. There's a line in the yard. And the line is in the yard of Israel. So let's take the story and let's begin today. Amos chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. The Lord roars from Zion. He utters His voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is Your Word. This is Your truth. Every single syllable of it is true. And so, Father, make it real to us. Help us to hear You as You roar. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There are some very important things that the Lord wants us to understand in this passage. And it's actually packed with, with, I mean, there's so much here I struggled. I'm like, what am I going to talk about? Am I going to talk about this? It's just two verses, but there's so much here that's really laid behind the scenes. And so what we're going to look at are two issues this morning out of this passage. We're going to look at the fact that we are called to know the lion's character. We're called to know the Lord's character, the lion. And secondly, we are called to hear the lion's message. We are called to hear the Lord's message. And so, what about the lion's character? Uh, What do we need to know? 
We can start with this question, who is God? Who is the God of this Bible? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David. You know, that is the most important question that we could ever wrestle with. And so to think of how God is portrayed uh, today, we would look to, you know, books, we'd look to film, we would look to different things. But if we look to Hollywood itself, we would see that it tells us that God is easygoing, that He's friendly, that He's even sort of a comedic, if you will. Um, If you ask people today about their view of God, or more specifically what they need to hear about God, it would be that God is love. That is the theme of today. God is love. He's a loving God. Now, it's true that God is love. Uh, We see that in the book of John. John the Apostle notes that He is love. But if He is love, and no more than that, if He is just a well-meaning and has a friendly disposition, or, or, I'm sorry, disposition, not a disposition. I must be thinking about some political things there. A friendly disposition. How can he truly be loving and good? I mean, when you think about it, how can just a loving, easygoing God be really good? For example, if God were only easygoing and loving, what, that, what might that mean to the wife whose husband is murdered in a brutal robbery? What might it mean to a family who has lost their wife and mother to a drunk driver? How might the victims of the Soviet gulag respond to such a God in light of the cruelty that they faced? Can you imagine just for a moment Adolf Hitler up in heaven with God, laughing it up, having a great time, and the old grandfather God just looked at him and said, I know you didn't mean all that. It's all good. It's all good. Can you imagine that? No, we can't. Not at all. And so when we think about this goodness of of God, Amos reminds us of the true God of the Bible. The God who is love, but who is also just. The God who is full of grace and mercy, but is also full of wrath. I want you to look back at Amos 2 here, verse 2 in Amos in chapter 1. It says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem. Alec uh, Mortier notes that like the rest of the Bible, Amos associates the name of God with with the revelation of Himself, which He gave to His people through Moses and the Exodus. This declares first and foremost that His divine nature, a declaration of His self-existence, and the eternal changeless is who He is. I am who I am. And that's how this begins. The Lord, all capital letters, the Lord, I am that I am, speaks here. So who is this Lord? Exodus 34, 6-7, furthermore, Um, tells us a little more as God proclaims the name of the Lord to Moses by listing the different facets of His holy character. Listen to these verses. 
The Lord, the Lord, a God, uh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So what this tells us is who God is. His character. Who is the Lord? This is the God that Amos is speaking for. The main issue that he wants us to grasp here is that salvation and judgment are equal aspects of the Creator God's character and holiness. Salvation, judgment are both Equal aspects of the Creator God's character and holiness. As Mortier further states, His salvation and judgment together constitute the abiding definition of His holy character, which is expressed in His name. So when we hear the name of the Lord, when it's in Scripture and it's all capitals, It means something significant. It says something about the God of the Bible. It reveals who He is, what He is about. That He is wholly other. That He holds righteousness and goodness and life itself in Himself. That if He, I talked about this this morning in Sunday school, that if He is that perfect and loving God, if His love is greater than anything we've ever known or experienced, so must His justice be. If He is truly God, and a God that we would follow. Throughout our study, we'll see this. We'll see His patience uh, throughout this, this, this book. You know, we'll see Him reaching out to the people, uh, giving them time to repent and to turn. We'll see that mercy and grace. We'll see that love. And yet, we'll also see His justice and His wrath. It is important to know the God of the Scriptures and how He has revealed Himself and not in how we may create Him to be. It's important. Because the world creates Him in all sorts of ways. We have to go here and listen to what it says to us and understand who He is. That's so important. So I'll ask you this question. Do you know Him? The only thing I kept thinking about when I was thinking about that question is um, that African-American pastor from California, a lot Lockhart or something like that. And he does that little speech where he goes, do you know him? Well, and then he goes through all these attributes of Jesus and he says, he's indescribable. And I'm thinking, that's exactly what this is like. Do I know him? Yes and no. I can describe him as he's revealed in a scripture, but yet at the same time, I can hardly describe him. But most of us here in this room know this God of the Bible as He has revealed Himself. And and, and so let me press this just a little bit deeper on two levels as we think about that question, do you know Him? First of all, do you see and trust that God has revealed Himself as a good and loving and yet good and just God? 
Do you trust in that? Do you see that? Again, only the only God that you can know is that not of your own making or another's making, but the God who has revealed Himself in Scripture. Croatia Maroslav Volf said, If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to justice, that God would not be worthy of worship. That is so true. He has to be both. So do you know Him? Do you see that He is both good and loving and good and just? Secondly, uh, on the second level, the primary response of God's people in knowing, knowing Him is to commit to being like Him in His holy nature. That's what we are called to do. As Peter says, but He has called you who is holy to also be holy in all your conduct. So do we know Him to be like Him? And this is obviously by grace because that's the only way we can get to know Him is by His grace. But do we know Him to be like Him or do we just know of Him? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. You know, when two people are intimate in marriage, an intimate marriage, and they come together and, and they're a young couple. I'm getting ready to marry a, a young couple next weekend and I've been thinking about the service already and some of those things. And as these, these two young people come together, they're going to get, as we've seen in the marriage service, closer and closer together to where when they're old as some of we are here, they're going to have some of those same characteristics. They're going to do some of the same things. They're going to think some of the same way. That is getting to know Him. Having Him in the Spirit rub off on us. He actually indwells us. So it should be that way. But as we get to know Him, that's what happens. It's like friends that hang out. I was at the house one day. This was a couple years ago after we first came here. And Ian looks at me and he, he makes some comment. He goes like that. And I'm like, what the heck is that? I've never seen you do that before. What is that? And he says, I don't know. Zach Fisher does it. <laughs> it's people getting to know each other, doing similar things, you know? As we get to know the Lord, I'll do that to him now. I go, son. <laughs> As we get to know the Lord, we become more like Him. We become more like Him. We reflect His goodness. We were, if you know, it's it's uh, it's like when you see injustice in the world. Terry Leonard and I were just talking about this. When you see injustice in the in the world, it makes you angry. It should. You don't think Brian Fisher's angry? You don't think some of the people that that are struggling to. To, to reach people in, 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 in human trafficking or angry? They should be. Because it's awful. So we become more like the Lord. So what is happening in the context of this book was that the people had drifted away from knowing this God that we just talked about here. They drifted away from knowing Him. They were not growing in His holiness. They were growing far away. And so we must next hear the message for our benefit that we do not go astray to. So our second point is, is that we're called to hear the lion's message. 
Here is where you may want to exit early because it's hard to hear. It really is. I'm not kidding. I read this. I'm like, you really want me to preach this to these people? This is hard to hear. It's going to get personal. To get a better understanding of, of what is going on here, we need to grasp the, uh, kind of the history of Israel. Israel is now a divided kingdom. Understand that. So when you talk about Israel in this passage, it's talking about the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom is Judah. When Solomon became king, he sinned against the Lord, and the Lord said, I'm going to divide the kingdom. Your son, you know, your son, there's, there's going to be a division there. So when Solomon's son became king, the kingdom split. It split in two, and so you had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so the northern kingdom at this time was ruled by a king named Jeroboam II. And the southern kingdom was, that was again called Judah was ruled by Uzziah, who had both led for some time. Now, uh, with that in mind, again, notice in this book that we're going to go through that the majority, majority of this message is to the northern kingdom. You're going to hear a little bit about other kingdoms. You're going to hear a little bit about Judah, but it's mostly to Israel. But when I say Israel, don't think of the whole nation. Think of the divided kingdom. I'll try to remind you of that as we get into that. Now, at this time in this history with that divided kingdom, you know, there was no major foreign military threat. And it was a period of military expansion and great economic growth. This led to exuberant exuberant luxury, affluence, and exploitation from profit motive. Okay? Might this sound familiar? Economically, their luxury included expensive houses, including both summer and winter homes. Okay? Their furnishings were um, just these gaudy pieces of furniture, including beds of ivory. They were anointed with the finest oils. They had expensive perfumes. They, were not, they did not deny themselves of any bodily satisfaction. They were a people at ease. Socially speaking, now that's economically, so socially speaking, this led to hypocrisy and oppression. The rights of the small farmers in, in their nation were ignored. Money-making and personal covetousness ruled all. Men lived for their offices and women lived for excitement. Rulers lived for frivolousness. Turning to the religious life. Now this might interest you here. This is very interesting to me. When I, I, I'd forgotten this history from seminary to be honest with you. It was a great period of religious activity at the time. Hey, things are going great. People were very religious. There were money coffers that were overflowing. People were giving. The religious adored uh, the tradition, but this tradition had shaken away from the divine revelation of the Word of God. In other words, it was a religion of their own making. So what you have here in this, in this, in this time period is wealth, you have prosperity, you have leisure, and one would think that God was blessing them. God's given them all those things. Don't you hear that on TV from the TV preachers? Isn't that what they tell you? Hey, God's blessing you. He wants to bless you. Even the religious activity was popular. But things were not good. What was surface shine was corrupt underneath. 
The blessings of the rich had become had come at the exploitation of the poor. Religion was a man-made charade. They had forgotten God and His Word. His grace was taken for granted. His law largely ignored. People were doing what they pleased. Not studying to know what would please the Lord. And as a result, they went merely on their way, climbing to greater and greater heights of prosperity. Never imagining for a moment... Get this, that the end was coming. The end was right around the corner. The Lord was about to speak. And so what does the line say? Now, I want to ask you a question. This is not, you know, what does the line say? I'm not talking about, you know, that little nursery thing that you have for your baby at home that you pull and it, I'm not talking about that. I am not talking about watching a TV program where you hear a lion roar. Have you ever been in the presence of a real lion roaring? When I was a little kid, I have this memory. We were in the zoo in Asheboro, North Carolina. And I don't know what we were doing. We were in a room. I can't remember how big it is. I just remember it being in a room. I don't know if it was feeding time. I don't know if something happened to this creature. But we were in a room with some lions, and this lion began to roar. And, and I'm not kidding you. I, have, I still remember. I mean, that's, that's the, the memory is great fear. I grabbed my mother. She held me, tell, told me, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Well, that creature was behind some bars, and so great. But if that creature had not been behind those bars... It would have tore us to shreds in power. It was a fearful thing. That is what's going on in this passage. Amos had come to Israel with these words. The lion roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And so what's going on here is the Lord in His role of warrior king is compared to a lion. His awesome power is active in Zion. See, they had forgotten about Zion. They had forgotten about Jerusalem. They're setting up their own places to worship. But He was active. And so this roar was meant to frighten those who were about to become His prey. Because that's what's going on in the passage. He's roaring to say, I am about to devour you. Even the pastors of the shepherds mourn at this. Isn't that interesting language? The total devastation of all fertile places is about to happen. It's quite frightening. The attack had begun. The day of the Lord was at hand. A dark day. And here is the thing. When the dark day comes, it's impossible to escape. Paul in Galatians 6, 7 reminds us of this truth here when he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so judgment was coming. Israel was to be torn to shreds. Their end was imminent. So brothers and sisters in Christ, the question that we have is, is what in the world does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with us? 
I think Dr. Rayburn puts it best. This is what he says. Listen to these words. It is true that as in Top Lady's hymn, the wrath of God with me can have nothing to do since my Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. But still, the wrath of a sin-hating God must remain a permanent part of the consciousness of a Christian. It keeps him from, walk, from taking his salvation for granted. It keeps him hard at work at killing his sins and putting on righteousness in his daily life. And it keeps him alive to the fact that the world around him is doomed and that he must live his life as an ambassador of the gospel of Christ. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul writes, knowing that it is God who is in you. That's why we have to hear this passage. So here's a question about this. What takes your allegiance away from the true king? Are you obscuring the awareness from Scripture of his sharp condemnation of sin? In our Connect group, we are beginning a book today um, called uh, True Community, and, it, and it's by Jerry Bridges. And I've been reminded, <clears throat> sorry, over and over this week as I read this, about another Jerry Bridges book that I would commend to you, and it's called Respectable Sins. And it's about sins that are very respectable that we just allow to be in our lives. And when you read it, it's quite condemning. And, but sometimes we need that. We need to see those little things. You know, we, we can get so caught up in the big struggles with maybe a sin that we wrestle with, whether it be, you know, anger, you know, or lust or, or anything like that, that we, you know, covetousness that we have. And we may say, this is, this is so much a part of my struggle and it's just, this is my big sin without noticing all the other things that we struggle with. So that's why these particular passages are important. So what takes away your allegiance from the true king? Are you obscuring the awareness from Scripture of his sharp condemnation of sin? C.S. Lewis aptly reminds us in his problem of pain this. The human spirit will not even begin to try to surrender self-will as long as all seems to be well with it. Now, error and sin both have this property. That the deeper they are, the less their victim suspects their existence. They are masked evil. Pain is unmasked. Unmistakable evil. Every man knows that something is wrong when he is being hurt. And pain is not only immediately recognizable evil, but evil impossible to ignore. We can rest contentedly in our sins and in our stupidities. And anyone who has watched gluttons shoveling down the most exquisite foods as if they did not know what they were eating will admit that they can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. 
It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's what's going on in this passage. The Lord is roaring. And so for us, what we need to do in in action toward this passage is we need to take a good look at our lives before the Lord. We need to, in our time of confession here, in our time of confession at home, um, think about what we wrestle with. Uh, Jeff, from time to time, will bring a book to our men's meeting Uh, The Valley of Vision, in that book, there's a section of prayers that the Puritans wrote on confession. And they'll, they'll, they'll cut you to the core. Because they think through it so differently than we do today. So I recommend prayers like that. Prayers of the old saints to help you see your sin. I read one this week and I just, I just thought about it all week long. And it just, every time I would think about it, it would just tear into me a little bit more. Look at yourself before the Lord. Secondly, we need to, as a community, um, uh, I guess what I would say is put ourselves into the community on a deeper level that we would trust others to point out the sins in our lives. We honestly need that. Sometimes it can be our wives, but sometimes men, we don't want to be our wives. Wives, sometimes it can be our husbands, but we don't often want it to be our husbands. It's a little too close. It causes problems. But if it's a friend sitting across the table or a lady holding your hand and praying for you, it can sometimes be helpful. But it's hard to trust one another with that, isn't it? So I I commend you to grow deeper in community where you can do that. Where you can do that. I had a friend one time say these words. He says, I told that man who was a mutual friend of ours that was dealing with a struggle. He says, I've told that man things that another man should never have to tell another man about his sin. I always thought that was a funny statement from him. But the reality is, is that, sure, we need those men to speak manly things into our lives about our sin. We need that. And women need that too. Thirdly, we need to trust and know that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming from a good God who is patient and loving. He's patient, He's loving, He's waiting. There are some days when I sit and I think, Lord, how long? How long will you tarry? And if you flip over to Romans, those who have been persecuted are crying out, Lord, how long will you wait? Some of the people that have um, uh, loved ones die cry out, Lord, will you not avenge my loved one? We're all waiting, aren't we? We're waiting. But be sure it's coming. Be sure it's coming. The fourth thing is, is don't lose sight of the grace and mercy of the Lord. He still offers as the Lamb of God Himself for us. As we come to the table, we'll be thinking about that. He's offering Himself for us. So do not lose sight of the grace and mercy of the Lord. But know, again... That just judgment is coming. The Lord, the Lord as the Lion of Judah will return. People look at the Old Testament. God is that God. He was mean. He was wrathful. Maybe read Revelation. Read Revelation. And don't think for a moment it's, it's not good judgment. Don't think for a moment it's not unrighteous judgment. It's true and righteous judgment. So the question ultimately is this. God is speaking. Will we listen? Or will it be too late? 
The honest truth is, is that everything that we read in the coming weeks that is written here in Amos, hear me here, everything that is written here came to pass. Everything. And so what that tells us is everything that God has written here in the book of Revelation will come to pass. He is a good God. He is a good God of justice. He is a good God of, of love and mercy. And to quote Lewis again, He is not safe, but I tell you, He is good. Let's pray.